0: The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 29 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. It doesn't take a personal diagnosis of cancer to forever change someone's life. Becoming a caregiver to a close family member with cancer is an important story to tell. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Downing, who shares with us her caregiving experience for her sister Stephanie during her ovarian cancer journey, and how it has shaped how Jennifer moves through her life today. Let's welcome Jen Downing. Welcome, Jennifer. I'm so happy to have you here today. We actually met through a forum, I believe. And we were connected online and then we had a kind of a meet and greet call. And your story is not unique, but a little bit unique in terms of the podcasts and people I've had on before. So I am really excited for you to share your story and how the journey that you have been on through your sister's cancer journey has really shaped some of your, how you move through your life. So, welcome. Hi, how are you? I am doing well. Great. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Let's just go ahead and jump in and tell us your, your story. Sure. So, um,
1: my sister was 37 when she passed away. Um, so, she passed away um, coming up on three years um, on July 4th from a rare form of small cell ovarian cancer. And at the time, it was one of those things where it, it will, of course, it like shocked everybody, right? You know, to kind of go from the beginning, she was admitted into the hospital for um, digestive issues and not able to keep food down. Um, and then at some point, um, I think the second or third time that she went into the hospital, they finally did a scan of everything going on and realized that her, um, she had a, a tumor on her left ovary. And initially, the doctor who took out the ovary was not overly concerned about it. But then when the testing came back, she was stage three ovarian cancer. So that's a day that it's, it's kind of hard really to not remember the day that you have a family member tell you, right, that they have cancer. Um, she and I were actually getting ready to go out to a happy hour for the yoga studio that we went to at the time. And, um, she told me right before that, cause I went to go pick her up. She lived around the corner from me in the Northern Virginia area. So she told me, um, she still wanted to go to the happy hour, you know, it's kind of hard to forget that it was Labor Day weekend, like the Friday of Labor Day weekend. And then she had her first oncology appointment pretty soon after that. So her cancer journey started, um, you know, start to finish that September, went into remission January, and then right around May, she um, ended up getting re-diagnosed. And at that point, it came back pretty quickly. Um, If I remember correctly, um, it had already spread from the ovaries. She was having symptoms actually around the time that she ran this walk run with the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition, DC chapter. Um, So she had just done the survivor's run and was like all, you know, impressed and excited about doing that. And then she was dying. And then she, you know, we were talking um, at that point, too, about living situation. And I'll get back to that in a second. But yeah, she came back. And then May to July was essentially when she ended up uh, passing away. So at that point, um, she was living with me. She had moved in with me uh, after her first chemo treatment. So that was pretty much like, you know, right after her surgery, she had her full hysterectomy. She went into chemo maybe two and a half, three weeks after. So it was pretty quick that they put her in. And she was doing in treatment in the hospital chemo treatments. So she wasn't doing outpatient. She was in there for um, three to five, six days at a time. If I remember correctly, one of her chemo drugs was like a 24 hour push through, through her port. So she had to literally be in the hospital. So she moved in with me after the diagnosis, um, her first chemo treatment, she lost her hair. I think it was a very emotional period for her realizing like, oh, I, you know, I live by myself, this might not be the best thing for me. Even if you live around the corner, I still want to have somebody, you know, there. So um, around the time that she was diagnosed, I was also separating from my husband at the time. And so he had moved out right around that time as well. And it was one of those things where it made a lot more sense, right? I was also in the beginning stages of going to yoga teacher training and deciding whether or not I could even handle doing 200 hours of yoga teacher training and working full time and having my sister move in with me. And, you know, obviously the emotional toll of dealing with, you know, grief from a separation. And so, um, yeah, At that point, it was a no-brainer to have her move in, and even though I had kind of asked my, you know, separated, estranged husband at the time, it was like, well, if he says no, like, I don't care. I'm going to make this work, obviously. So it, it was a lot emotionally, and I decided to continue with the teacher training. I had one weekend that I had to make up at some point for anatomy at the end part of the program, but I felt like going through the teacher training for me was a good opportunity to keep my self-care up. Yes, um, cause I realized, I didn't realize at the time how important self-care is when you have, um, you know, a family member living with you and going through that whole experience. Um, you know, it was one of those things where we definitely didn't I think at the very beginning of this, didn't quite understand the importance of self-care, the importance of boundaries, the importance of being able to say yes, being able to say no without, you know, without any kind of, um, you know, hard feelings.
0: Absolutely, uh, caregivers. I think caregivers are definitely in that segment of they are still going to work. And then they're coming home and helping a family member or, um, in your case, it was someone that was in your home. So it's a bit easier cause you're not going to multiple places to do that, to offer that support, but it's really challenging. I know for my husband, he was often asked about how I was, mm-hmm. he was not always asked how he was and what he needed. So yes. that's definitely uh, something that is important for caregivers, and it's important for caregivers to take that like time away to and create the boundary and be able to recharge their own batteries.
1: Right.
0: And that's Absolutely. hard. I.
1: I 100% agree with you, and I don't think that I've really fully understood that concept of boundaries and self-care until I was in yoga teacher training. And anybody who's gone through a yoga teacher training, especially that very first one, it's like you go into it, you know, and um, you realize very quickly it's not just about sequencing and putting postures together. Right there's the yogic philosophy side and there is, um, you know, the other side of yoga, like if people maybe don't realize that they're drawn to that necessarily, but that was really what ended up, you know, really kind of sucking me in and realizing in a good way, obviously, but, yes. um, it, and it was good for me to kind of share some of those tools with my sister along that journey as well. So we definitely bonded, I guess, from that yogic philosophy perspective without even realizing it, um. Yeah, I think I, I've come to that realization years later.
0: Yes, it's it's interesting because in within the eight limbs of yoga, only three of them are physical. Right. And the other five are all philosophical and emotional and based in other, not in the physical body. Right. And it's often surprising for people because they go in from the perspective of the physical body and then they find that there's this whole, whole other piece.
1: Right. And as I'm now diving into this larger yoga therapy certification, I am realizing that to like even more of a level of just the importance of the eight limbs and the importance of, you know, the whole body, the emotional, the mental, and not just that, but like personality and social. And it's such an amazing, it's such an amazing tool to have like all those tools mixed in together.
0: Yes. Yes. I have a friend who used the koshas, as a basis for creating her kind of model of well-being. So when you look yep. at like a wellness wheel and the, there's traditionally eight sections there like overlaying the koshas in a wellness wheel with financial wellness and physical wellness and social wellness being so important which is can be challenging when we're working a job and we're caregiving and we're going right. through other emotional challenges on our own. I mean, a divorce is huge on its own. <laughs> and right. then to have like having all those other things being in balance is becomes even yeah. more important.
1: And I think on that in talking about like that wheel, right? Social, um, I don't, I definitely feel like my social perspective is how, is so different than how I used to be. Like I'm still on a Myers-Briggs scale extroverted, right? But I'm way more towards the middle now. I'm a little, I kind of joke that I'm extrovert introvert now because I really do love my alone time. I love my personal time, but I found that that really, that big shift came through my sister's cancer journey. And then my journey as a caregiver, and so I went from having a very large group of kind of friends to having more like a smaller group of like very, very good friends, right? And then I have a lot of, I call friends and acquaintances, right? But it's not the same level. Right. Um, yeah. But it's, um, but I consider that to be a good thing. I think through this, I I had a harder time sitting with stillness and now I can sit with it a lot more. Yes.
0: Sometimes we fill the time with busy, yes, because we're there's there's something we are not wanting to be with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a hundred percent. I think my initial coping of wanting to still do the two hundred hour training, wanting to still kind of be out and about, and, and so it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, it, but it the shift is so profound now. And whereas I like being busy, but my busy is a very different type of busy.
0: Yes. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the, so your sister was in remission for Mm -hmm. several months. And during that time, I think you were also starting to reevaluate. You mentioned early on you were starting to evaluate like living situation. Yes. Talk a little bit about how the conversation and the challenges that were kind of presenting there when she was re-diagnosed, or was basically came out of her remission in May. Yes. How that, because her perspective on that was very interesting for me as well. When you mm-hmm. were first sharing your story with me,
1: yes. So um, her first diagno- or her first remission was January, and so that period between January and May we were still living together. And then at some point, um, she and I had had plenty of conversations about, you know, do we want to continue to live together? We had a realtor looking at uh, different types of rentals that were a little bit larger, so we could still have, you know, separate space. And we had a pretty darn good situation to begin with. Um, You know, she had her own like level with her own bathroom, her dog could like go out into the yard, the yard was fenced, it was perfect. But we did need a little bit more space, right? As you know, older, you know, not older, but in there, you know, 30 year old women that want to feel like they have autonomy, right? And so it was kind of the emotional back and forth of like, do I want to continue to live with my sister? Do I want to start kind of going out on my own and making that decision? to be more independent as somebody who has gotten through cancer and, you know, wants to like live her life. Right. So she was also divorced before and was looking forward to maybe dating again and looking forward to, you know, some of these things that you can, um, you know, having parties and people over, um, without necessarily having to worry about a roommate. Right. So, but yeah, like it was, it, it that really was a hard balance looking back on it. The difference between wanting to still be connected as sisters and living together and, um, you know, maybe having that bigger, nicer place together, but then also the opportunity for her to like be independent again and have that sense of th- that, that broader sense of independence that would come with
0: that. Right. And, uh, freedom's not the right word, but the positive outlook of Mm -hmm. that you're moving forward. And in doing that on your own, that gives you a different perspective as well.
1: It absolutely does. Um, And as a, you know, as a caregiver slash, you know, somebody who is now left behind to kind of like process my own emotions, that for me is like the biggest thing that I struggle with in my own grief journey, to be honest with you, is this concept that she did not have the opportunity as a 37 year old woman to date again, to get her own place again, to like be happy with her dog again, to, you know, get to do all of those things that people get to do as adults and evolve, right? And get that promotion with the schools and it's much harder. Um, that, that still is a huge, if there's anything in my grief journey, that's the thing that I still struggle the most with.
0: Yeah. Ovarian is all, all cancer, especially that where you have a metastasis or recurrence very quickly is, is upsetting. And it tends to be a fast moving situation, which makes it even more, which makes it even more devastating.
1: Yeah, this was a four month. Yeah, this was a four month. I mean, May to May to um, July. Yeah. And it was it was so fast moving. And initially, we thought that we had a good handle on it. And then she ended up going up to New York City to do a trial. And at that point, by the time she I mean, it was so fast that by the time she got up there, it had spread into her colon. And we didn't realize at the time that first, I guess, like what, what I've heard anyway is that once it spreads to the colon, it's like the kiss of death. It's like when I dropped her and my father off at the train station to go up to New York city, you know, she was still, you know, looking like her. She came back a totally different person, very puffed out, you yeah. know, almost like that pregnant belly skin was different And I, I didn't know what to do, but it was a very, just to leave your loved one and, you know, to go for her to go up with my father that way and come back a totally different way was one of the hardest things.
0: Yeah. I have a friend that was in my studio on a Friday and she came back on Tuesday and it was that transition. It it was very, things were going really well on Friday. And then uh, it was like on Monday it, it turned a corner and the numbers were through the roof and it was that that quick the fluid and yeah all all those yeah. things it it happens very quickly so we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back I want to talk a little bit more about your other family members and kind of how that looked because I know you had talked to me um, about your your folks in the past as well so we're gonna talk about that and then I want to talk more about your yoga journey and how you are using that yoga journey to work with survivors and patients that are going through this. So stay with us. We will be right back. Hi, Jen here. I hope you're enjoying the show. When I finished treatment, I discovered survivorship was way more challenging than I ever expected it to be. There are a lot of things no one prepares you for. I attended one support group meeting and knew that was not for me. The more people I talked with, the more I realized I was not alone. This podcast is a forum for people to share their cancer stories from start to present. And my Facebook group is a gathering space for people to find positive inspiration on the not so positive days. In a community of people who understand the challenges of this journey, So, come on over and join the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and be part of the conversation. When you see the question, How did you hear about us? be sure to mention this podcast episode. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back. I'm here with Jennifer Downing, and we are talking about her experience with her sister's stage three ovarian cancer diagnosis and then reoccurrence a few months later and one of the things that i was really struck by in our first conversation was the how the members of your family kind of settled into their own roles so i would love for you to talk a little bit about that cuz that can be so challenging with family members and everyone has a different reaction and ability to support in a way that is that works for everyone because we're all different and we all process and manage things differently. So I thought it was very interesting.
1: Right. right. Yeah. So, um, so Stephanie lived um, again in Northern Virginia area with me. My parents live about an hour South. Um, so close enough, right. So that they could be able to be of assistance. And um, you know, my mother, is very hands-on very I, lo- I love to call her like the the mama Donna traditional kind of Italian mother right um, who wants to be present for her children so it, it like it's funny right like as, we're, as we were talking about this um, realizing how people develop roles in almost like a natural authentic way so My mother's very authentic, you know, organic way is to be the mother and be concerned for her child and want to be by her bedside. And so that developed into her role, right? So when my sister was in the hospital, um, she wanted to be by her side. And so that was her role. She'd come up from, from an hour south. My dad's role was to stay at the house an hour south and he watched the dog. So he would take, you know, we had the, the beagle Ella who lives with my parents now and he would take care of the dog and he would make sure everything was good since I was working full time and not at home all the time to take care of the dog. And then, you know, my role essentially during that period was um, partially self-care, but then a lot of it was doing kind of running back and forth from the hospital and work. So I would go and visit her. I would bring her, you know, homemade food that, you know, you could label, put in the refrigerator, you know, it has to be tossed away after a certain amount of time, but making sure that like she had clothes that were comfortable and toiletries that were comfortable. And, oh, I forgot this book at the house. Can you bring this to me? You know, my brother, very similar, just kind of popping in and out. So that was, It it just really struck me how interesting it just evolves without you even necessarily having to discuss it, right? It just, everybody just kind of takes a role.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And to have that evolve without conflict is really amazing. Family dynamics. (laughs)
1: Well, I, I will say in terms like in conflict, I say conflict in air quotes, right? Like yes. um, I think initially I wanted to be a little bit more present at the hospital during chemo treatments and it was almost as if my sister had to like grant me that permission. To not be there all the time. Like the very first chemo treatment, of course, you know, it's like a more people, I think, were kind of around for that. And then as the chemo treatments went on, it was more like, okay, so you, I want you to have your house when I'm not there. I want you to do your yoga when I'm not there. Come see me, but don't, you know, don't feel like you have to always be here because you're here when I get home from the hospital. You know, you're there to make sure that I have what I need when I get home from the hospital. Take those few days to do what you need to do as well.
0: Well, and chemo is an interesting thing. My first chemo treatment, my husband came with me and he stepped out like at lunchtime to go get some food because I had a six and a half hour infusion um, and an infusion center. So it started at like 930 and it ended at between three and four, depending on how long things started to get going in the morning. So after that, I was like, you know what? I'm good. Like, I wasn't sleeping through treatment. I was like, I can bring my computer. I can do work. I can entertain myself. Like, go to work. There's no, like, you can just drop me off and then come in and get me at the end of the day like you can just drop me off and then go to work and in some cases i would have i would have people drop me off so he could go to work in the morning and then be out of work and come pick me up in the afternoon and for me like i didn't need him to physically be there cuz Right, He's like, whoa, you're gonna look at me for six and a half hours? Like, right. I right, and that that's one hundred percent true.
1: <laughs> because, because then you also think about like the chemo treatment part of being like, you know, oh, you're occupied the whole time, but you know, you're there. It's a combination of watching the news. You know, in our case, like we loved like that t- TLC show, Ninety Day Fiance and like texting back and forth about what's happening with the characters or the people on the show. And like, so, you know, Hey, I'm bored. I need more books. I need more magazines, you know, all of those things. And, you know, I, I accepted, you know, at some point that I was like, okay. And, you know, my therapist said something very profound to me during this period. And she had a father that went through a cancer journey as well. And she said to me, you know, you need to remember that when your sister's in the hospital, she's being cared for. Yes. And And I was like, that was like such a huge, profound lift off of my shoulders, but also not even like, oh great, I don't have to be there. But more like in my heart, it made more sense to me that whatever she needs in that hospital, I can't really provide. That's what doctors and nurses and oncologists and all of those specialty people are there for they're there for that purpose and my purpose is at home yes right like the whole yogic of like having to sit with discomfort and initially having to sit with that of being like okay this is not my role
0: cancer journeys are a challenge in control as well yes. I have had many clients who they come in and work out once or twice a week because they can. Now it may be that we do restorative yoga for half, you know, we move for 20 minutes and we do restorative yoga for 40, but they could get there, they could do, they could move their body, they could, it's that exercise and control, like I can control this thing and I can keep moving to the best of my ability. And so it is an interesting, It's an interesting challenge. You had also mentioned that um, your sister had a genetic marker, a rare genetic marker. And I know you've gone through testing for that as well. So I would love for you to share the information about that.
1: Yeah, so to backtrack a little bit, um, when my sister, when her cancer, or when she was in the remission stage, she really wanted, to understand the why. So she was, I called her Sporty Spice, was my joke for Stephanie. You know, just like the Spice Girl, she was the Sporty Spice. She was always running, she's running around, like literally running and jogging and at the gym and doing yoga and just a very active person. Um, Her diet was the best diet I think I've ever seen of anybody. And so I think that there was a little bit of inside concern on her part of like, did I do something wrong? Yeah. And the short answer is no, because um, it did turn out that she had a rare gene and it was called the SMARCA4. So it's S-M-A-R-C-A-4. So it was like a small cell gene. And then we went through this whole process of the geneticist and finding out where it came from in my family. And interestingly enough, we're not aware of anybody else in on either side of my parents' families if anybody's ever had this. And so it came as a shock, I think, to all of us. Um, but yeah, it's so the SMARCA4 gene. It's a rare type of ovarian cancer, and it affects mainly young women and girls. Um, if I recall, looking at the research, there have been babies that have been diagnosed with this. Like wow. it is, it is. It, it typically is younger women. And I remember when I met with the geneticist, it was very few amount of women that have actually been, um, studied and it was about 60 women. And of the 60, it was about 56 or so that actually passed away from this. So it was a pretty big significant thing to go through, to have to think about my own ovaries, to find out if I had the, the mutation and I do not. So, that part of it is good. But it, you know, I think there was also a weight that was lifted off of Stephanie's shoulders, knowing that she didn't do anything wrong. I think she needed to kind of have that. Um, she really needed to have a little bit of that validation.
0: That's a really challenging topic for a lot of people. I find a lot of people in the very early stages are looking for that why. And in your sister's case, having that distinct validation, definitely like relieves it completely and i would just like to remind everyone listening that in a lot of in more cases than not we'd never do get that complete validation for the for the why and i believe really strongly that in so many of these especially in gynecological cancers we just don't know what's flipping the switch and we may never know. And it's okay to accept that it's not our fault.
1: Right. And 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 then it switched from, it's not my fault. And is my sister going to be okay? Is my yeah. cousin going to be okay? Like, I need to make sure that I'm kind of going down this lineage of what, like, what can I do to help? You know, so, um, you know, I'm glad that she, I'm glad that she got that level of peace and understanding where you know, science is amazing now that we can, that we can even do this. So, you know, we're all so grateful now for genetics and the fact that we even have these counselors that can even talk to us and give us and lay out, you know, what are the pros, what are the cons and what to expect.
0: Right. And even in like IVF and things like that, they're able Mm -hmm. to, if someone does, is a carrier of a gene, they're able to screen for those things. Yes.
1: Um, so I think I shared with you the first time, yeah. So the first time that we met or we chatted, rather, um, I think I shared with you that my brother has the marker and the recommendation for him, if he were to have kids would be to go through an IVF process because then they can, um, test embryos. And in my own case, when I was, um, deciding or in that process of figuring out, do I have this mutation? Do I have this gene? The recommendation was, okay, well, we, I thought, well, let me go look at my ovaries and see, like, am I producing? And, you know, as somebody who was going through a divorce at the time, you know, I was still, you know, kind of half and half on kids, but thought if I meet the right person, I want to have that option. I ended up not doing egg freezing because of my own autoimmune issues, but it was good to at least know where I stood and to at least have information to at least understand where i was with everything but i feel like just the fact that we have these opportunities to just understand where we are with our bodies is it's it's just such a blessing to have this technology and science
0: absolutely to, be able to do any of this absolutely i would love for you to talk a little bit about the um how your yoga journey has evolved and the work that you're doing with life with cancer and other organizations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I did my, as I mentioned, I did my uh, 200 hour training. Um, and that was more in a style called Baptiste yoga. So more vinyasa Mm -hmm. flow, power flow type yoga. Um, so I do teach one of those classes a week, but my passion and love has really come into more of a therapeutic yoga space so I am doing my larger certification in yoga therapy. I myself have autoimmune issues, and so my primary focus is women and autoimmune, but you know, through this whole process, I also have connected with Life of Cancer at Inova Hospital, so I teach one class a week there, and then I do some volunteer stuff with the National um, Ovarian Cancer Coalition. Um, so I teach some classes for them and they have a survivor's retreat that's coming up this coming May that I'm going to be teaching at as well. So it's just been such a great journey. Um, I know you help women and, you know, people get to, um, kind of come back to wellness after injuries and things of that nature. And it's such a really nice, you know, it's a great opportunity to not only have this therapeutic yoga help me and my own health journey. But also, as I improve in my own health, able to help other people, whether that's on the autoimmune spectrum or cancer survivors, I get very, almost a little excited and giddy when I have a caregiver come to a yoga for cancer class with the, stu- with the other person in treatment because that is always, I always want to just give them a big hug. And I'm excited that they have shown up also for themselves because that is such a big thing.
0: Yes. Um,
1: it's 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 just fantastic but i love i love the work that i do you know whether it be in the studio setting or outside and it's just it's absolutely just continues to evolve into this amazing puzzle it's like i keep seeing these little puzzle pieces coming together and it's coming together naturally Um, it's really beautiful but i love everything that i do with it
0: there's so many people in the cancer space now as well who then start to present with an autoimmune condition or something from their mm-hmm. treatment has flipped a switch to Absolutely. where they're experiencing an autoimmune condition that they perhaps didn't have before or was not active at the time. So it's it's so important that work of helping people to stay moving and and it's mentally good for us as well as just the physical component. The Right. And as a fellow
1: yoga teacher, you know all about the immune system, and I geek out a lot on immunology and how, you know, musculoskeletal is working with, you know, your circulatory and how endocrine works with lymphatics and... These are all like such important things to realize, especially when you're getting into autoimmune or cancer or these illnesses that are going to be affecting the whole body because I get this a lot, right? Um, Somebody that has issues with adrenals, they're all focused on adrenals, but you have to focus on every system of your body to really come back to that wellness, right? And so it it is incredibly interesting how they all overlap, how they all work with each other, and how yoga has that ability to really give people that ability to feel better on a day-to-day basis.
0: Absolutely. And the body is so amazing. It's, it really is. It's really quite amazing when we look at it on its own and how what we ask it to do for us every day.
1: Right. And I absolutely saw that. I mean, of all like the beauties of a cancer journey, right? Like I was always amazed at what my sister's body could do. I've always been amazed at what my own body could do. And then um, one of my other um, passions or loves, I love teaching like pre and postnatal yoga. Like that's, and that's why I like to focus a lot more on women because most women at some point will um, have a baby or a lot of them will, right? Or they adopt or whatever it is. Their their lives change. Yep. And the postnatal especially. And the same thing with autoimmune. They'll be fine before they have a baby. And then all of a sudden something triggers. Or yes. they were triggered before a baby. And then they feel a lot better after. And it's just interesting how our bodies just compensate for how the various systems are working. At, I'm I'm just purely amazed on a day to day basis and seeing clients and how they're able to improve and how I'm able to improve and just how resilient our bodies really are.
0: Yes, absolutely. I that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about as well. Like even when we've been through this journey, we get to the other side. We really still have the ability to stretch and do the things that we want to do even if it's a a big goal it was the whole reason that i did the dopey challenge a year after finishing chemo because i was like i was starting over because i wasn't able to run during my chemo treatment for because of some side effects so i really was starting over i was starting from like baseline I was like, here's the thing. We can do like if you set your mind to something, you make a plan and you work the plan, you can achieve the things you want to achieve. So that's I yeah. feel like that's so important.
1: Yeah. And one of the things I've I've learned on a you know in a joking way, of course, is you cannot take running away from runners.
0: <laughs> runners love their running. <laughs> yeah, I've I did I trained with LLS um before yeah. my like eight, six years before my cancer diagnosis, I had trained with LLS. And one of my friends was a lymphoma uh, survivor. And he talked about how when he was in treatment, he would like the day, the morning of treatment, he would go out and run a mile because he was like recovered enough from all. And he just would go out and he might not run the mile, but he was going to do a mile on his feet before he went to his treatment. And they would just laugh at him every time he came in. He'd be like, I can, so I'm going to do it. And that was really well, powerful for me. And if, if, I, if I recall correctly,
1: um, the American Cancer Society has said that on a minimum, people should be doing 75 minutes of vigorous exercise a week, which if you really think about it, is not a whole lot 75 minutes it's an hour and 15 minutes
0: well and when you classify vigorous exercise it actually the way that that gets calculated is actually Mm -hmm. less than that Mm -hmm. if you're if you're working at a at a higher pace faster pace or more More vigorous pace so yeah it's a really it's really an interesting and so I think the number right now is three times a week 30 minutes three times a week is the minimum that we should be getting out and moving at a reasonable, reasonable rate yes a reasonable quick walking pace shall we say so yeah and I always tell people go ahead and get outside. See how you feel. Like, just get out the door. And when you get out the door, then all of a sudden, 30 minutes doesn't seem really that bad. But it's getting out the door. It's it's from the couch to the door that seems to be the most challenging part for people.
1: And it's important for people like you to be in this space, right? Because oftentimes, like I found this with my sister after she had her, when Stephanie had her hysterectomy, she no longer felt like her body belonged to her. You know, anything upward facing dog was like 100%. Anything rolling shoulder blades back, anything chest opening, any. And it, there was, you know, obviously some emotional and physical trauma that comes from having a full hysterectomy, right? And having organs kind of like moved around and checking for, you know, what's happening in your body. But then like that whole concept then of being forced into immediate menopause,
0: Yes. right
1: after surgery, like pure sweating, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: physically your body no longer feels the same. It is important to know that you know the concept of vigorous can also be different for different people. Yes, which is why for some people, I can just be like, okay, I can tell based on all these different assessments that heated yoga may be right for you, right? Vinyasa flow, but for a lot of people, their vigorous is not that.
0: Right. And, well, and
1: and like, and it's, it's how your body is reacting to it, right? And it's you know people really need to feel empowered to be able to work with with you know professionals to get back to their place of the middle right, right. like what is that that's going to help them get to that place of wellness
0: yes and it's really important for there to be people in the space that can say like can ask the questions and and validate that there are so many different ways to move our body Absolutely. And there's no, the only perfect way is the way that works for you. Yeah.
1: I always like to joke with people. I'm like, okay, well, I want this to feel good in your body. And I'm certainly not trying out for the cover of yoga magazine. I don't think you are either. So why don't we just move in a way that is going to be nourishing in this moment, right? Just coming back to what is it that you need right now.
0: Right. Yeah. That can, absolutely. Ha- that can change
1: moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day. And yeah, I, I, that's something I think a lot of students still have challenges with. And I think as humans, we all still have a
0: challenge with that. Absolutely. We want it to look like how everybody else looks, right. As opposed to, and we don't take into account the fact that. I have long limbs and a short body. If you have a long (laughs) torso and short limbs, a pose is going to look different in your body than it is in my body. And it's still right. And we use blocks or we use a strap or we use the wall or a chair. Like all those things are valid. I teach a chair Uh, class and my clients come in and go, oh, it's a chair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you though,
1: chair, downward facing dog with a chair feels so good on your back. Well, and the first wall on a chair, like that is one of my app. I prefer it to a regular down dog. It just feels so amazing.
0: Yeah. The first time I taught a chair yoga class, they were like, really chair? And then they left. They were like, okay, we get it.
1: Right. And I think there's also something to be said too about, you know, you brought this up with like, Oh, the chair. Right. But there's an emotional component, emotional slash mental component that comes with seeing a chair or seeing a prop or a making and the initial maybe, Oh, maybe I am less than because I need this. Right. Right. And the body's not the same. They have to adjust. It's this concept of, I already have to take all these medications. I already have to do chemo. I'm already changing everything. Can't I just have one damn thing that is mine? Right. Right?
0: And it, yeah, it's a very interesting thing because no one prepares us. No one prepares us for the deficits that come from going through treatment. And that's definitely, that's definitely an area that I am very passionate about bringing more light to and getting more support. And so thank you so much for sharing your journey and your story and your sister's journey. It's really important. So thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, Jennifer.
0: Thank you, Jen, for sharing Stephanie's ovarian cancer story and your story as a caregiver. We covered so many great topics, and I want to call out the ideas of self-care, boundaries, and navigating saying no when you're a caregiver. I cannot say enough about these items. It is so critical that caregivers take really good care of themselves, physically, emotionally, socially, in all the ways, so that they can show up for their patient when that's really needed. Being able to set boundaries with love and free from guilt is so important. I really loved how the family navigated the various roles of showing support that also gave each member a role and space at the same time. The people that love us want to support us in a material way, and to see the evolution of familial roles in this case is really beautiful. That's our episode this week. I'll be back on August 5th when my guest will be Katie Pitzinger sharing her unspoken cancer truths. I hope you'll listen in. In the meantime, I would love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode. You can join us over in the Facebook group. Surviving is just the beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week.